Well, good morning. Welcome to Life Point. Thanks for being here. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're here for the first time, welcome. Thanks for coming today. We'd love to meet you after the service. Just come right down front of the stage here and introduce yourself when we wrap up in just a little bit. If you're one of the folks that watch online, thank you for the feedback. We really appreciate that. And uh, we welcome you with us as well. So we're in this series called Believable. And it's really important that we consider the things that we're talking about in this series, because all of us believe things that sound kind of like they're true. I mean, the, the statement might sound believable, it might sound true, but it's, at the end of the day, it's not. How many of you in a public restroom use a towel or your elbow to open the door? Tell the truth, right? It's like, I might as well eat a germ sandwich if I'm going to touch that doorknob with my hand. Well, recently... University study found that that is one of the cleanest places in the restroom. Maybe it's because nobody touches the doorknob, but you're not going to get sick from reaching, you know, at Chick-fil-A and touching the doorknob or wherever you're eating and, and opening the door. It's just not true. It sounds true. Like, don't touch the doorknob. Don't do that. And how about what mom told you? Oh, honey, five-second rule. You can pick it up and eat it. It's not like germs have a code of ethics. It's like, hey, guys, for five seconds. We stay off everything and just give, give them time to pick it up. I mean, that sounds reasonable. Oh, pick it up. It hasn't had time to get germs on it. But actually, it's not true. It's like it happens immediately. And we probably all heard somebody say, sticks and stones will break my bones, but what? Words will never hurt me. That's not true. If you've ever been hurt by words, that probably stays with you longer than an actual physical altercation. And so there are things like that that we all believe, especially when it comes to the area of faith, that we hear and they sound true, but they're not. And so that's what we're talking about. The first week we started out talking about how this, this huge belief that truth is not really this absolute thing that we can all determine and, and discover. It's truth is kind of one thing for you, another thing for somebody else. But we, we found out, and if you missed any of the first two weeks, please go online and watch or listen, because truth is real. In fact, truth is not a what, but truth is a who. Jesus claimed to be truth. Last week, we talked about our Bibles and, and how some people would say, well, the Bible's an old book. It's 2,000 years old. There's old stuff in there. It's not really, not really meant to mean anything today. It's outdated, different culture, different times. But the truth is, this book is relevant to all times, all cultures, and all places. It's really important to understand what you believe and why you believe it. Because our beliefs shape our behavior. What I believe determines how I behave. And that's the bottom line for this whole series. What I believe determines how I behave. Most of you, when you act in a certain way, it's because you believe in a certain way. And today we're going to tackle this idea that, that that's real popular in our world, that may be uncomfortable to think about it not being true, this idea that there are many paths to God. And good people around the world, different cultures can choose different ways, and God's going to honor that. It sounds reasonable, but it's not true. How many of you have seen this bumper sticker? 
the coexist bumper sticker. If you've passed more than two Priuses on the highway, you've seen this. I'm, you know what? That, that, that should not have come out. I'm really sorry. If you drive a Prius, you're awesome. You save money. The rest of us don't. I understand. I shouldn't have said that. That was stereotypical. I'm gonna, I feel bad now. I do. All right. So coexist. You know, this was made popular. What, who really made it popular with a whole new generation of people was Bono from U2. He wears a headband in all of his concerts, says coexist. Everybody's seen him wearing that. And, and here's what it means. It, it, it's kind of a, a representation of major world belief systems that spell out coexist. Islam, Buddhism, science, Judaism, paganism. Better watch out. I've seen people get that little red cross with the, with the thing on the top of it, tattoo, not knowing what it means. It means paganism, Wiccan. And then last but not least, of course, Christian, because they had to spell out coexist. Now, essentially what happened, somebody took all the major world belief systems or religions, and the original intent was to say, well, why can't we just all love each other? Why can't we just all be one and try to make the world a better place? And it's true that, that through most of these, not all, but through most of these, you will find a belief that you know, you, you need to be good. You need to love other people. You need to practice basic morality. Many of those religions believe that because the intent is let's just all get along. Stop fighting and oppressing and killing and just everybody get along. That's a noble goal. That's not a bad goal to put out there. We would all agree to that. Yeah, let's stop doing that. But that very quickly jumps from Let's just all try to get along, which I agree with, to, well, just choose your path. Choose the way you want to go, and it's okay. Just make the choice. That idea quickly comes to, there's many ways to God, and here's some of them, and let's just all just agree that there's other ways, and it's not just our ways, the only way. Let's just agree to that. The problem with that is it starts sounding like what we talked about in the first week, these two big enemies of truth subjectivism, which means every person gets to determine truth for themselves, or uh, relativism, which just says there's no such thing as, as like one way, one truth. You just pick your way and be nice and good, and if your way works, then that works. That's great. We're all going to end up in the same place anyway. So we hear the statement, there's many paths to God. Good people can find their path in their way, and God's going to respect that. That sounds believable. It sounds really nice, doesn't it? it sounds nice. It sounds agreeable. It sounds like, well, sure, I, I hope that's what happens. Because aren't we all just experiencing the same God, explaining Him in different ways? I mean, that, that's what most of the world would say. In fact, Pew Research Center, who does, they do a lot of research about faith. Here's what they found out. 70% of Americans say that there's more than one way to get to God. 65% of people who would self-identify as a Christian, which, which that means that there are people who say they're a Christian, that just means, you know, like I'm an American or I'm, uh, you know, a person that lives here. It's just, it's just a title. So 65% of the people that would identify themselves as a Christian say, well, yeah, there's more than one way. And then here's the stat that just doesn't compute in my mind. 50% of evangelical Christians, that's us, believe there's more than one way to God other than Jesus. If you just do a good job, we're going to all end up in the same place. It sounds good. It even sounds believable. 
The problem is it's not true. All roads do not end up in the same place. If you decide because it's a pretty day, you're going to go down to Wrightsville Beach today and you get on 40 West, you're not going to get there. You can drive for days. You'll eventually get to an ocean, but you're not going to get to the one on the East Coast. If you want to go to New York City and you get on 95 South, you won't get there. There's one way, and that's going north if you want to get there. So are there many paths that lead to God? Are all religions basically the same man's attempt to create this better world through reaching out to God? No, they're not all the same. Now, you would expect me to say that. If you're a skeptic, you're, well, of course, you work for Jesus. Of course you would say that. He's your boss. You have to say that, right? But all religions are not the same. And it sounds a little scary to say there's one way. There's one way. That's it, one way. It's like, oh, in our diverse world and, and, and you know, look at all these different ways people express themselves to God. How can there be just one way? Well, I believe there's just one way because Jesus believed there was just one way. Jesus' followers believed there was just one way. The first century church believed there was just one way. And we're going to look at a section of scripture where Jesus and his followers actually say there's just one way. There's some Bibles coming down the aisles right now. If you don't have one, raise your hand. It's yours to keep. It's free. You can take it home with you. If you'd like to borrow it, you can do that. Also, all the scriptures are displayed on the screen as well. We're looking at a section of scripture in the New Testament book of John. John was a follower of Jesus who later in life wrote down like a memoir. This is what happened while I was with Jesus. So he writes down a lot of the things that happened in the ministry of Jesus. And we're going to pick up this story in the book of John chapter 14, right after Jesus had just looked at his disciples over a meal and said, one of you, you're going to betray me. And that, that kind of upsets them. He says he's leaving. He says he's going away. And, and they start to get, you know, really agitated. Like, what do you mean you're going away? We'll just go with you. Well, you can't go where I'm going. And so they start to get troubled. And here's what he says in chapter 14, verse 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. This is Jesus speaking. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you'll always be with, always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. So what he's saying is bad things are going to happen, but you need to understand I'm going to go away. But I'm going to come back. And when I come back, I'm going to get you. So I'm going to prepare, and I'm coming back, and I'm going to get you. You're going to go with me. And they don't understand that he's talking on a spiritual level. They're thinking, why are you going on a trip? This is the worst possible time, Jesus, you could go on a trip. And they don't get it. So one of Jesus' followers named Thomas says this, No, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? So what he's saying... I want to go, but I don't know where you're going. How could I know? Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you'd really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you know him and have seen him. So here's what Jesus is saying. If you know me, that's how to get to God. Because Jesus is God himself in the flesh. So Jesus said, knowing me 
equals knowing the Father in heaven. Now that's what ended up getting Jesus killed, among a couple of other things, was that he was claiming to be the, have this access to the Father in heaven. Now, major world religions all have a view about Jesus, and most of them, the major world religions, have a positive view about Jesus. For example, Judaism would say that Jesus was a rabbi, that he was a good moral teacher. They would say that he attracted uh, dedicated followers. They would say that he claimed to be the Messiah, even though they don't believe it. They would say that his followers claim that he rose from the dead, even though they don't believe it. So the Jewish religion has a favorable view, view of Jesus. They just don't believe he is the Messiah. Islam also has a favorable view of Jesus. They believe Jesus was born of a virgin. They believe he's to be revered and respected. They believe he was a prophet and a wise teacher who worked miracles. They also believe that he didn't die. They just believe he ascended into heaven, and they think he's coming back as a follower of Muhammad. It's like, yeah, good luck with that. You know, that's not going to happen. But that's what they believe. So they have this favorable view of the historical Jesus. Hindus believe that Jesus was a holy man and a wise teacher and is a God among many gods. Buddhists believe that Jesus was an enlightened man and a wise teacher. That's what they believe about Jesus. But Jesus himself drew a line in the sand and said, thanks but no thanks. I'm the only way. If you want to get to God, you got to go through me. That's what the first century church and church leaders believed. And we know that because when we read in the book of Acts, which tells the story about how the first church began and the followers of Christ were first beginning to teach about Jesus and what he means and where salvation comes from, as they were beginning to teach, they also began to experience opposition. And one of Jesus's followers who would have heard Jesus say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, had the power of the Holy Spirit in him, and he healed someone one day, and he got in trouble for it. They wanted to know, who's this guy, Peter, who's healing people? And so the religious council, the Jewish council of the day, brought him in to reprimand him and say, what are you doing? And here's how he responded. In Acts chapter 4, it says this, let me clearly state to all of you and all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. So Peter was the one that was helping start churches in Jerusalem. That's what he believed. He would have said, Jesus is the only way, the only name you can confess to be saved. There's no other name under heaven that you can confess and be saved. He was saying, there is but one way to God. Now, some of you think, well, yeah, duh, I know that. I believe that. But clearly, 56% of evangelical Christians question that Jesus is the only way. And look out at the world and say, well, maybe, just maybe there is another way. See, it, it feels uncomfortable to say that. In our tolerant culture, it feels very uncomfortable to say, well, Jesus is the only way. If you want to get to know God, 
It's through Christ and no one else. That, sounds un- that feels uncomfortable for some of us to say. It also creates skeptics. I'm sure in a room this size, there's some of you that are, you're still a little skeptical of this whole thing called Christianity, of following this person, Jesus. Maybe you're skeptical of the church. And then when I say, Jesus is the only way, you may just write the whole thing off and say, well, that's, that, that's ridiculous. How could one person be the only way? How could just one way get you to God? Because why? Well, because there's all these people who haven't heard about Jesus. That's true. It's our job to make sure they do. But there's still people who are born, live their whole life, and die and never hear the name of Jesus. It's a good thing it's not our job to determine what happens. It's our job to let people know about Jesus, not determine what happens to people who never heard the name of Jesus. So just take that argument out of your head because you can't answer the question because you don't know. I don't know. And anybody says they do know, they really don't know. They just want you to think they know. So what we do know is Jesus said, I'm the only way. And that's what us, uh, those of us who follow Christ, should believe, that he is the only way. If I believe he's the only way, it has bearing on and it determines how I behave. So here's some, here's some beliefs. Here's why this is good news. You might hear it as bad news, like, well, how judgmental, how narrow-minded to think there's only one way. Obviously, a percentage of you believe that. But if you think, well, that's narrow-minded, that's bad news, people don't like to hear that, Really, it's good news. That's really good news that Jesus is the only way. Why? Because if you compare the teachings of Jesus with major world religions, compare it with Judaism, which Christianity, there's its, its roots are in Judaism. But in Judaism, you have 613 commands to obey, and you're judged based on how well you obey those commands and how well you do with that. That's a lot of commands. I mean, sometimes I can't get one right. There's 613. That's crazy. Jesus sounds like good news compared to that. Islam has the five pillars, and while that's less, Islam is spent, if you're, if you're uh, Islamic, if you're Muslim, your life is spent trying to please Allah. And if you do enough things to please Allah, good and bad, if you do enough, then Allah will accept you. That's why people commit horrible acts in Allah's name because, hey, I'm doing this for him. And if I do this for him, he's going to accept me more. It all goes back to a false religion that says the more you do, the more this all-knowing God accepts. I mean, that's what Islam teaches. Buddhism says the ultimate goal is nirvana. You may have just thought that was a 90s rock group, but it's, it's this thing that you can achieve by living right. By, by working towards your distinction of desire, by, by doing what you desire really inside your heart. And a lot of people are attracted to Buddhism because you can live any way you want just so you're at peace with yourself and at peace with the universe. A lot of famous people, Steve Jobs, founder of Apple, changed our lives. That's what he was, was a Buddhist. And Hinduism says you work your way into heaven by becoming one with Brahma, this all-prevailing force in the universe. And you're You're going to have to live life over and over again until you get it right in different forms, on different levels. And then when you finally get it right, you you finally become one with the universe. All of those religions have something in common. Doing, measuring up. If you measure up, if you do just the right things, if you have the right conduct in your life, then you're going to be okay. If you do the right things, then maybe you're going to please this 
God out there. Have you ever been to like a, a, a stadium rock concert where there's like nosebleed sections? And, and you're looking down and you're watching on the screen just like you would at home, you know, and the people performing look that tall because it's the only seat you can afford. Maybe I'm the only one that does that, but hey, you, you know. You ever look down and you see those people in the front row and you think, how did you do, how did they do that? They paid for it. That's how they do it. They had enough money to pay whatever it costs. Last year, the most expensive rock concert tickets, Fleetwood Mac was number one, $305 a seat. Maroon 5 was number two, 280 bucks a seat. Taylor Swift, $260 to go see somebody or watch them on a screen. And how do you get in the front? Well, you pay for it. That's how it works with all those religions. How do you please God? You pay for it by the good things that you do. And at the end of the day, it's all about how hard you work, how much you do to get yourself a good seat in eternity. Keep the commands, obey, be good enough. And there's even people who call themselves Christians that believe that about God. Well, I can just do enough for God. And when that comes into Christianity, it really distorts the message of Christ. Because what it does, it puts everything on me. I do, I work, I get rewarded. And Jesus comes along and says, here's how it's gonna be from now on. I'm gonna do all the work. All you have to do is obey. All you have to do is receive. All you have to do is accept. All of those say do. True Christianity says it's already been done. It's been done by Jesus. Christianity gets this bad rap for being exclusive. Well, that's just too exclusive to say Jesus is the only way. Which one sounds more exclusive? One that says only the elite, only the ones that perform right, only the ones that happen to get all the rules right, those are the ones that are gonna be before God. Those are the ones that God's going to accept and say, come on into eternity because you did all these things right. Or what about Jesus? It's just like, hey, the country club is open. I paid everybody's dues. All you got to do is accept. All you got to do is just come on in. You know, big new Lifetime Fitness down here on Falls. Wouldn't it be great if they just said, hey, it's free. It's not whatever, a few hundred bucks a month. It's free. Come on in. Somebody paid for our whole church to have a membership. I mean, that's what Jesus did for us. I paid everything that needs to be paid in order for you to have eternal life that you enjoy on this earth, that you enjoy in the next life. Jesus said, I already did that. All you have to do is receive, accept what I've already done for you. Which one sounds more exclusive? Do all this stuff, and if you're in the elite, you're in the front row seats because you paid more for it, then you can go be with God? Or hey, the door is wide open, no matter what your race, no matter what, you, what your background is, no matter what your, how much money you have or don't have, Jesus said the door is wide open and I already paid the entrance fee and all you gotta do is, do is receive the gift. That's what the New Testament writers believed. The guys that wrote down the words that we base a lot of our faith on, that's what they believed. The Apostle Paul, who used to be against Christ and became a person that was for Christ, said these words. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Free. Now, there's a lot of free stuff in the world, but it's not really free. You know, like, hey, this is free for the next 20 minutes, but you gotta pay like, you know, 30 bucks uh, shipping and handling. Well, it's not free. Hey, you want a free trip, free trip to this resort? Come on, what do I have to pay? Well, you gotta listen to somebody talk for eight hours. 
and bug you about buying a timeshare or whatever, you know. It's not free. It's just there's a cost associated. With Jesus, the cost is something he already took care of. The cost is death. He did that for us. That's what this says. The wages of sin is death. Jesus did that. So the do on our part is just accepting. Accepting what he did for us. See, when Jesus said in John 14, put that verse back up, John 14, the the first one I read, the longer one. Look at verse, um, it's verse three, I think. Verse three, where he says, uh, I will come and get you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you. That separates Jesus. Check the words of all those other religions I mentioned and see where there's a God pursuing mankind with his love. All the other ones say, work your way towards me. Have good conduct. Do the right stuff. It's highlighted in a story that Jesus told to answer his critics who were saying, why are you with the undesirables, Jesus? Why are you hanging out with them? We don't get it. You came to earth and you're hanging out with these undesirable people who don't work and do the right things in order to be close to God. But that's exactly who Jesus gravitated towards. And they, were gra- they gravitated towards Jesus. And so he spent a lot of time with people who would have had the nosebleed seats and unable to afford front row. And the religious leaders of the day were saying, well, what are you doing that for? In one of those episodes, he told them three stories. You can find all these stories in the New Testament book of Luke, chapter 15. Three simple stories. First story was about a shepherd who had 100 sheep. One of them wandered off. Jesus said the shepherd went and found that one. He went for it. He got it. He brought it home. They had a party. Another story he tells is about a woman, a single woman who lost a coin. And this coin for her would have represented her ability to find a mate. She loses it. She rips the house apart. You know, a single woman, you know, loses all ability to find a mate. So she's ripping furniture apart, everything she can, you know, calling her friends, help me find this. I'm never going to get married if I don't. But she finds it. She searches and searches and searches until she finds it. And then Jesus tells another story about a son who went to his father and said, give me my inheritance. He left, took the money, he ran He lived in ways that was against what he was taught. He found himself penniless, hungry, and desperate. And in this one story in Luke 15, Jesus illustrates what it means for him to come for us. Because when this boy found himself alone, homeless, hungry, and desperate, he decides, I'm going to go back to my dad. And he's on his way back to his dad, and he's thinking, I'm just going to say, look, dad, just hire me out. Let me be one of your servants. I will work for you, whatever I have to do to get back in your good graces. And he's rehearsing that in his mind over and over and over again. And he gets back to his dad, and his dad doesn't even give him time to say all the work he's going to do for him. His dad runs to him and hugs him and says, welcome back. My son was lost, and now he's found. Who did the work there? The son or the dad? The dad did. The dad representing God just said, come on back. You don't have to work to please me. Just accept my invitation to come back into the family. Now, Buddhism has a very similar story to that. But the Buddhist story, when the son comes back home, his dad gives him a job and says, work for 20 years, basically shoveling excrement, and I might let you back in my good graces. You're going to pay for all this stuff that you did. But Jesus communicates God's nature in that this father that runs to meet and welcome the son back home. 
refuses to let him work to gain back his good graces, and it just he accepts him. That's a picture of God's love for us. Which one of those two pictures of God, one that makes you work to gain all this acceptance, or one that just accepts this free gift of acceptance? Which one do you think produces the most positive behavior? You would think, well, if you obey the rules, that's going to produce the most positive behavior. That's not true. Since my grandfather set me down as a kid and told me all the things I shouldn't do that made me want to do some things I hadn't thought of because when he went down through it. So the rules are not going to produce better behavior. What does produce the behavior that God wants is our understanding that we are accepted. And you don't have to be afraid. Well, if you're just accepted, it's all free. You're just doing anything you want. When you really internalize that you're accepted because you are and God's done all the work, that will produce more positive behavior than obeying all the rules perfectly. And Jesus is trying to say, I am the way. That's not bad news. Because he's also saying, I'll come get you. I will come back and get you. See, Muhammad's not going to come get you. He's dead. Buddha's not going to come and get you. He's dead. Jesus is the only one that said, I'm going away. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. Some of you need to internalize that today because you feel pretty desperate in life. You've made big mistakes. You're not doing a good job at following the rules. In fact, you've done a really bad job at following the rules. And Jesus said, you know what? I offer you this free gift, forgiveness, salvation, grace, mercy. You want to change your behavior? Believe, understand, and internalize that I'm the way to God because I'm the only one that offers a free way. And all you have to do is accept it. Now, many of you have already done that. You know that and you live in that and it's changed your life. Some of you, you haven't done that yet. Or you've been in a religious system that, that refused to allow that to happen. And you need to make a change. You need to change from trying to obey all the rules and thinking, well, there's just all these other ways. Well, the other ways don't offer very good alternatives. The other ways are exclusive. The other ways are for the elite. Jesus' way is for everybody. So which one sounds like a better one to say, I'm the only way? I'll take the one that says it's for everybody. If you talk about tolerance and accepting, that's Jesus. That's not all those other ones. Those other ones are the opposite of that. But Jesus said, just accept my free gift and it will change the way you live. So anybody that tells you that Jesus is the only way is an exclusive judgmental way, oh no, that's the way to freedom. That's good news. And that's the truth. Let's pray. God, thank you for the amazing truth that, that you accept us, that you offer this free gift and all we have to do is accept. And that acceptance, God, we acknowledge it changes our hearts and our lives because you've done all the work. God, help us to trust you even more than we try to do things for you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.